Warning, this podcast was produced by two men who still think that swearing is both big and clever. As a result, it contains quite a lot of it. Therefore, this podcast is not suitable for children, unless they're really fucking cool children. Hey guys, uh, this is a special uh, bonus feature podcast uh, for our Rage Against the Machine episode. We uh, ended up sat chatting with Andy Coppin, who runs Download Festival. Uh, has been in the music industry for many, many years. Uh, as I say, we cut it down to about 10 minutes for the actual interview. But here, we just thought we had such good stuff and good chat with Andy. We've included the entire interview so that you can hear exactly what he had to say. Um, yeah, so I hope you get something out of this. Uh, obviously, if it's not something it sounds like you're interested in feel free to skip this episode but uh i think uh, I, I think uh, andy's a really really interesting guy loads of perspective uh was there for the early rage against the machine so so if you're a rage fan i think you'll get a lot out of this uh hope you're good and we'll see you next time We are joined by the one and only Mr. Andy Copping, who has agreed to uh, to come on this episode and give us his kind of views on this album that we're talking about. Thank you very much. Andy, very nice of you to, to come on. Thank you again, ma'am. Not at all, no. Glad to be part of this. What we're doing is we are looking at an album that came out 28 years ago, but still means an awful lot to me and Dave. And I think it's one of the kind of the big albums of the early 90s in terms of a shift in my taste in music and opening other doors for me. It's a really big deal for me. And I think it's one of these ones that a lot of people had a similar experience. Um, in 1992, were you DJing at Rock City still? Or you were booking music as well? Yeah, no, I was, uh, I was DJing at, at Rock City on their rock night. Um, but I was also the in-house booker uh, so I was booking all the bands uh, into the venue at the time right and so you were seeing loads of stuff coming through you were on top of all of the music that was happening you must have been aware of Regions Machines album from as soon as kind of people were, were starting to put it out there well yeah the record label actually sent uh, me an advanced copy uh, of the album as obviously record labels used to do uh, way back when yes indeed. and um, you know, obviously we'd been reading uh, a lot about the band very early on. There was, you know, some murmurings of this band coming from the States that were uh, a real game changer. And um, when the, the advanced album came through, it was such a huge shock to the system, um, particularly as it, it kind of just came after the uh, grunge explosion and that in itself had, had, had totally shaken up the uh, the, the rock scene mm. um, it, it itself but then this Rage Against Machine album came and it was literally just getting smacked between the eyes with a brick yeah uh, it, it had got um, a huge amount of, of uh, a, a punk 
ethic to it. Uh, it was really hard hitting, really hard and heavy album. Um, and it was one of those bands that you knew just kind of had a, a foot in uh, many camps. You know, the rock crowd loved them, the alternative crowd loved them, the student crowd loved them. Mm -hmm. it, it really was, you know, a band that could sit uh, and, and very uh, and very much did sit comfortably with uh, NME, Melody Maker, and obviously uh, Kerrang, etc. All the magazines and the media of the time. It, it, it was a band that just sat amongst all of those different uh, subgroups. Yeah, so so exciting. I still remember seeing you know, the band on television for the first time on the Word or something like this. Tell you what it was. I can tell you the exact date of it as well. It was Mo Nirvana, the uh, the the Late Show Special was the first UK uh, appearance. Oh, that was their live one, wasn't it? Yeah, Feb February nineteen ninety three. I think was the first. Yeah, certainly the first time I saw them. Well, that's really interesting because uh, in February 93, they were booked to play uh, the small room at Rock City, which was called yeah. The Basement at the time. I remember The Basement yeah. well, absolutely. My God. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they were booked in there and, um, and it was absolute insanity. I mean, it sold out, literally sold out in seconds. Now, bearing in mind, there weren't internet sales back then. This is people physically coming to the venue to buy tickets uh, and for the uh, and from the ticket outlets that we had which were way ahead in Nottingham and Selector Disc which right. were record stores that was the only way that you could buy tickets and, and literally I mean it, it, it was a flood of people wanting to buy tickets for it and and to think now that that band played in that small room downstairs it was absolutely Jesus Christ insanity. Insanity, and then the, the the biggest twist to this is that three months later they came back in the May of '93 and yeah. played at Rock City in the main hall, and sure. again that sold out. That you know um, back then it was 1,700 capacity, so they they'd gone from 300 tickets to 1,700 tickets in Nottingham, literally in a matter of weeks, and wow. the support band on that show was tall. Yeah. Everything, like. <laughs> Rage Machine and tall on the same bill was yeah. really something incredible. But just seeing the growth of the band, uh, and the interesting thing was that, you know, I, I met them at the first show. Uh, I obviously met them when they came and played in May. And I've met them in recent years. Mm -hmm. And they've absolutely not, changed really on any level that to me they're still the same people uh, that i met back in that february 1993 when um the last time you know I, I uh i saw them and met them was when they played at download in 2010 yeah. and it literally the intensity and the ferocity of the show was exactly the same as it was back in that February 93. We were there, it was a magnificent show. Incredible. Unbelievable, yeah. and unbelievable. And the thing is, is they're one of those bands, you're not gonna see a, a bad Rage Against a Machine show. Yeah, and they're I mean, never gonna just do it by numbers, are they? No, not at all. No. You, you almost, it's that trepidation of knowing what you're gonna get, but that nervousness of what it's gonna be because it is so intense. 
And I remember being at the, uh, the side of the stage at Download in, uh, in 2010, and the anticipation of the audience was at fever pitch. Mm-hmm. But I have to tell you, the four of them backstage, as they were gearing up to go on, Zach, you're thinking, I do not want to eyeball this guy. He, he was getting really psyched up for the show. Yeah. And that just the four of them together, you could just sense this power, um, you know, amongst them. And to think all those years on, they still had that intensity was, you know, it's, it's an incredible thing. But that album, mm. uh, which I know is what we're, we're really here to talk mm. about, is you put that album on today and it still sounds current. It hasn't dated, it's still relevant, and it still has the impact that it did when people first heard it back in, you know, I guess, 92. I totally agree. I think it still packs the punch that it did. Um, and it doesn't sound like, oh, this must have been okay in 92. This must have been okay at its time. It's still nearly 30 years on, sounds like a, a fist into your skull. There's not many albums and there's not many bands that are able to say that that uh, having a, a debut record uh, that having such a huge, huge impact mm. on on uh, on on the music scene, and the fact that you know they they were so politically intelligent as they still are. These guys are, are like proper out there, you know, still fighting for rights and yeah, still everything. angry. Yeah, still angry, absolutely, um, and nothing but respect for them. I think quite interesting as well is when you look at someone like Zach De La Rocha, uh, you know, who's coming out with a particular rap style in 1992, still finding new youth audiences with the things he's doing with Run The Jewels in 2020. I don't think you can look at another rapper and say they had this impact in 1992 and are still having this impact on a new audience today. I mean... Like even you look at the the, heavy, the likes of Jay Z, you know people like that. I mean Eminem obviously wouldn't be out for a few more years, but no one, no one has done that. I don't think. No, and I think really when we saw the the advent of new metal towards the um, you know the, the the beginning of the two thousands, and really the inspiration for those bands, and, and you can go even obviously a little little bit earlier, but. You know, bands like Corn, Papa Roach, Limp Biscuit, Linkin mm-hmm. Park, they all, without a shadow of a doubt, have to tip their hat and, and get their influence from oh, Rage Against the Machine. Um, they, they're a band, Rage Against the Machine, that, you know, they stood alone back, back in, uh, in the early 90s. Not really that many copycat bands, certainly uh, none of any significance. That's the main bit, yeah. I mean, you look at bands like uh, Faith No More, which again, obviously, they came they came out um, uh, a little before uh, Rage Against Machine, and and the influence that they had, and you can see elements of that in in Rage Against Machine's music. But just the fact that uh, they were just so hard hitting, the fact that you know they they've still they've still kept that, but but also the fact that. Really, they inspired that uh, that new metal charge um, towards the end of the nineties and the beginning of two thousands. One hundred percent. And it must be you must have seen from the reaction you got whenever they were announced in twenty ten for download that 
yes, uh, people of you know mine and Dave's age were going fucking brilliant. Age Against Machine are playing Donald again. But whenever we were there, there were 18-year-olds in the audience who were thrilled to be able to see this band because obviously they hadn't been able to at the time, but the, they know the legacy and they were excited to be able to, to see this happening. It still um, carries on. Yeah, there's no, no question about that. I think that the generations of, of music fans that hadn't seen them, you know, when they first came out. And, and the thing is, the beauty about rock music, I think in particular, is the fact that it's kind of bizarre referring to Rage Against the Machine as a heritage act. But if sure. you think of the bands that they have influenced uh, further down the line, that then, you know, uh, those bands that um, got young teenagers into them. And again, I'm re referring to the Corns, the yeah. Linkin Parks, the Deftones, um, et cetera, that, um, you know, fans of those bands are going, yeah, I love these acts, but these these bands are, are saying, you know, Rage Against Machine was the reason that, you know, I, start, I started a band. So the, these young fans are going, well, I kind of want to see what you know, they can go back and listen to the music but mm. when uh, uh rage against machine go out on the road it's the first opportunity that these young fans can go and see the band that influenced the acts uh, um, and their their favorite acts um of, of that moment yeah. and certainly uh i mean the fact that when uh, rage against machine played at download in 2010 uh, the expectation um oh, and, when and when they came on, and the fact that we had to stop the show twice because the audience was <laughs> going great, we'd never had that, never had that at download where we've had to stop the show twice, because literally <laughs> in the first number. It was absolute insanity. I mean, I'm getting chills oh, uh, thinking about it and, yeah. and talking about it now because remember, this is just four guys. There's there's no, you know, there's no tapes. If you look at, I mean, I say this a lot about Tom Morello. Tom Morello comes on with one guitar, does the whole show with one guitar. He's not changing. It's you, you're just getting, and this is going back to that whole punk ethic again. Absolutely. Then just coming out, smashing you in the face from start to finish. And when the show's over, you're kind of going, <laughs> yeah, what the fuck just happened to me? Yeah, you're reeling from it. Totally. Yeah, you feel like you feel like you do when you've come off a roller coaster at the end of that show. <laughs> it's kind of full of like spent adrenaline. Totally, and um, I think that that's that's what makes them a very very special band. And I mean, even now, if you you know if you go into rock clubs and, and rock bars, I mean, I know they're closed because but of not, COVID, yeah. but you know, killing in the name is the staple diet. You knew you knew as a DJ, if whenever you put that on, that is going to absolutely fill the dance floor. Yeah, that is a peak set, just wiping out. Yeah. My early memories in my little regional club in, in Luton, where I used to go as a, as a like 16-year-old, I remember, still remember that song coming on and the dance floors being as violent as the roughest hardcore gigs I ever went to. Just in a club, just that song, just like <laughs> never seen anything yeah. like it before. I, I could only imagine what they were like in Rock City. Oh my God. I mean, it was just craziness. We And the thing is, we used to have uh, a, a Thursday night, which was a student night. The Friday night was the rock night and the Saturday night was the alternative night. At that time, Killing in the Name 
was the biggest dance floor filler on each of those nights. Now right. that again tells you the crossover that the band had at the time. Yeah. You've got three, um, and I have to say, you know, at the time, quite distinctive audiences, but uh, Killing in the Name in particular was, um, was just huge. Bullet in the Head, the same. Know Your Enemy, Bomb Track. I mean, they, you know, they're four songs from that record that um, without a shadow of a doubt were the staple diet of rock DJs. I remember I didn't uh, start really DJing rock clubs until probably 94 or so, 95. Oh, you're such a young boy. <laughs> but I, that, that album is a, a godsend for a rock DJ. It's like, yeah. oh shit, uh, everyone's getting a little bit, uh, you know, flaky or, oh shit, I shouldn't have played this song. Everyone's gone to the bar. All you need to do is put on one of those songs. And like you say, there's, you've got a plethora to choose from. And as soon yeah. as the first bass notes of uh, the head come on or whatever, everyone's like, oh, I see. All right, yeah, I'm back now. Bam, and you're off. And they must have, I was going to say, whenever they uh, announced the Reformation around 2009, that must have been one of the easiest decisions you ever made going, I'm going to try and get these guys. Oh, I mean, literally no question. It, <laughs> it, it, you know, we had to have them. Yeah. Such an important band. And the fact, this is the, this is the bizarre thing that, that people have kind of forgotten about, is you know, during Rages Against Machines' career, that, you know, they, they came in, it was like an atomic bomb going off when, uh, you know, when, when the, the, the band fir first came out, and particularly with that first record. But slowly but surely, they did start to wane in popularity. It, was, it, was, it, was, it happens to you know, a lot of bands, and it started to fade by that mid nineties, and you know they uh, they broke up. And that in terms of their ticket set, uh, selling capability, you know they weren't um, that hot band to to go and see. Certainly, the advent of um, of Britpop, which came in the mid nineties, sure. yep. really kind of put a, a you know a bit of a, a cloak over really intense um, uh, rock bands like sure. uh, Rage Against Machine. So when they were looking at reforming, if you, if you look back and say, well, where were they when they kind of broke up? They weren't in the greatest of places, uh, but when they did reform, it was like that was the band everybody wanted to go and see. Right. And they ended up being a bigger band and actually are now, I would say, a bigger band than they've ever been. There's not many acts you can say that about. You know, the whole thing with the Gums and Roses Reformation. They were huge, huge, huge back in the day. Yeah. Purists will say it's not a proper Reformation, but it's as close as it's going to be. Oh, definitely, yeah. And Roses, you know, and, and it's been massive for them. But I wouldn't say that they're... I would say they're probably as big as they were. They're certainly not bigger than they were. No, that's, no that's fair. They, without a shadow of a doubt, they have uh, become a far bigger band than they were ever. And that's an incredible, incredible thing to say, a remarkable thing to say about any act. That's but very true. That, uh, that's the pull that the band have. And I think that's probably partly because they never, because they did three albums and one kind of compilation, they never went shit and they never um, did it whenever it was obviously their heart wasn't in it 
they stopped whenever they were like, all right, we're done. And so yeah. nobody ever lost respect for Rage Against the Machine and thought, oh, well, they're just uh, doing it for the money. They did. They stopped and came back when they wanted to. And again, they weren't doing it for money in 2010. They were doing it because, all right, yeah, we still want to do this. I mean, part of me wants to say that they weren't doing it for money. I did pay them a hell of a oh, lot. That's fair, fair enough. I'm sure they gave it all to charity. Yeah, no, and um, <laughs> and of course I would pay it again. But then again, you know, that's the demand of the act. Yeah, there was no uh, reluctance or resistance from uh, festival promoters throughout the world when Rage Against the Machine come back. Is like saying, you know, listen, we're ready to write the check. This oh, exactly. Is- is big, big, big news. You know, they're one of those bands that obviously headline Reading and Leeds, big deal uh, there for them. That whole thing, you know, them doing that free show in uh, uh, in Finsbury Park, yeah. which was amazing. I mean, that the fact that that campaign online to get Killing in the Name to number one, the fact that Radio 1 slipped up and didn't play the edit. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then obviously... Um, it was enough to inspire the band to, you know, get back together and get out there. And the fact that they, you know, they came to the, the UK, because obviously where that campaign started online, um, and to do that free show for uh, yeah. for the fans. I mean, again, just, just shows what, what kind of band that they are. Definitely. Maybe. Well, you know, I've got my fingers crossed that maybe 2022, when it's the 30-year anniversary of the, the album, that, it would be nice to see them do another I big... Imagine. I mean, that, it, I mean, it would just be incredible. Yeah. I mean, 30 years, that's the scariest thing. I remember I when, I, God. when I first started out DJing, I, I remember playing a, a pandemic. It was Norman Greenbaum, Spirit in the Sky, in 1980. And it had, it had come out in 1970. And I remember saying, oh, my God, this song is 10 years old. How old is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and when you look back now, and you and you look at the stuff that that, that uh, you know gets played, and and the things that are still having a huge impact yeah. on people, and like, oh my God, Killing in the Name is you know close on thirty years old. It's yeah. unbelievable. I know. Let's never think about it like that. It's, it doesn't end well. I think I had long hair the first time I listened to it. <laughs> I, I think we all did. Yeah, I know. Those were the days. Yeah. Oh, wicked. Oh, Dude, thank you so much for, for coming on and sharing all that. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, really, really appreciate it. And like I say, if you can get them back at Download Dude, you know we're yeah. front of the stage. We're well, listen, they are on the shopping list. They're all. <laughs> right let's never give up hope yeah indeed awesome look thank you again Andy Copping an absolute pleasure thanks for having me thank you for checking out this episode of Pop Collaborate and Listen it was produced and edited by us for which we can only apologise we are on Twitter at PCL Podcast on Instagram also at PCL Podcast and Facebook.com slash PCL Podcast all of these, plus links to our various Spotify playlists, etc., are on our website, which is pclpodcast.com. Please feel free to get in contact via any of the social media or on pclmusicpodcast at gmail.com.